The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. I am your host, Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on this episode from the band Great White, it is guitarist Mark Kendall. They have a new album out called Full Circle. And in a future episode coming down the road, I have got singer Terry Elouse. But for now, uh, we've got Mark. Plenty of great, great white stories. I have also got on the second part of this episode, keyboardist, singer, Bobby Whitlock. He, of course, spent time with Derek and the Dominoes, participating in their one and only album, Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs, having written half the songs uh, that appear on that album and uh, collaborated with Eric Clapton on the infamous Bell Bottom Blues. He, of course, continued to work with Eric afterwards. And he also played on a Beatles album. Well, a member of the Beatles, of course. George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Uh, his wife, Coco Carmel, joins us for the talk. And we uh, talk about all the past histories, the 70s, the 80s, all that wonderful stuff. And, of course, their current tour, the Sparkly Shoes Tour. Yes, what a great name for that. But... This episode is originally going to air on June 5th, 2017. And so it actually marks a special anniversary for me this week, actually. On June 9th, 1980, I got to interview... Well, in fact, I did my first interview, and it was with uh, a guy that you might know. Um, people call him the Demon uh, in a small little band called Kiss. Uh, but here I was in June 9th, 1980, so 37 years ago, I sat down with the one and only Demon to talk about the Unmasked album. Yes, Kiss Unmasked. And what was very sort of significant about this interview, other than the fact that I was 11 years old, was that Peter Chris had departed the band, but Eric Carr had not been named yet. So it was sort of this no-man's land where Kiss were technically a three-piece band. And so some of you are thinking, well, how does an 11-year-old uh, get to interview Gene Simmons? So I'm going to tell you that story, and I'm going, to, uh, include the, I'm going to include the interview. I have the audio, so I'm going to play that and stick it on to the uh, second side of this episode today. So you will hear me at 11 years old for about seven and a half minutes talking to Gene Simmons about Unmasked and all kinds of other things. Now... Today, I'm going to tell you this story, so I'm going to forego the rock news, and I'm just going to tell you this, this story of, of how I got to interview Gene Simmons on June 9th, 1980, over at the management offices in Manhattan. Uh, back in the day, uh, you know, when you had vinyl albums, you had all kinds of wonderful information on the back cover, you know, fan club information and management information and record company information. And I, I was always, you know, I always had the wherewithal and, and, and the determination to do uh, whatever I wanted. Or, or you know, I, I had the, 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 the strive, if you want. So I flipped over the Dynasty album because uh, Unmasked uh, wasn't out yet. And I saw the contact information for the management company, Ocoin Management. And back in the day, 
you know, whenever you needed information, you would call the operator, and the number was whatever the area code was, and then 5551212. So I dialed up 212, 5551212, and I said, hey, is there this management uh, company in Manhattan? Can you give me the phone number? And, of course, the operator did. Right? That, you know. Now, another thing I need to point out is when I got to, to grade 8, which I guess when I was 13, so two years later, I was tested for my English proficiency, and it turned out that I was at a university level uh, by grade 8. You know, I knew words like minutia and prosaic and, you know, pedantic and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, most kids in the school would get up to, and we had an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever. Most kids in the school would get up to an A-level book, a B-level book, or a C-level book. I was on J-level. So my English was good. So when I called uh, the management company, and I spoke to the lady on the phone, and I have no idea uh, what her name was. You know, I spoke in a very sort of mature kind of language. You know, yes, hello, I'd like to uh, interview a member of KISS for their new album coming out, Unmasked. And she said, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, I mean, literally, it was that easy. It was, yeah, 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 sure, 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 no problem. Uh, We will give you Paul Stanley. And I was like, okay, well, Paul Stanley it is. And they said, well, you'll have to come down to the offices and um, uh, do the interview uh, because all the interviews are being conducted out of the office and so on and so forth. Oh, okay. I, I mean, it was really, that was it. Phoned the operator, they gave me the number, I phoned management, and they said, sure. And you, you heard right, I said Paul Stanley, not Gene Simmons yet, and I'll, and I'll get to how we get to Gene. And, you know, listen, that, that, that's the kind of person I, I was and always have been. I've always sort of said, if I want something and you put your mind to it, it'll happen. But now all kinds of problems uh, were posed. Now, uh, you know, I'll try to fill in as many blanks in the story I can without getting too long-winded, even though it's probably too late for that. But uh, my mom at the time, uh, in fact still, uh, worked for McGill University in Montreal from 1962 up until now. She's uh, 78, still working at McGill, so it's been whatever that is, 60 or 50 years, whatever it is. Uh, she was born in Copenhagen, Denmark, and so she was a, sort of the Canadian correspondent for their official state-run radio, which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's just called Denmark's Radio. So every so often she would go to the Canadian broadcaster, CBC, and she would um, do little bits on, you know, the Prime Minister this and the Prime Minister that, and the, the election here, and there was a natural disaster there, and so on and so forth. So I would go into the studio, the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Studios with her, and do these 10-minute bits. I I wouldn't do them. I would stand and watch. But it gave her access to, as if you were going to a library, and and instead of pulling out a book, she'd be able to pull out equipment, microphones and all that wonderful stuff. And anyway, I, I made this call. I got this interview booked for June 9th, and... I went to my mom, and I said, so, (laughs) um, I uh, booked myself an interview. And she was like, oh, okay, with who? And I said, oh, you know, Paul Stanley of KISS. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And I said, no, 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 no. Here's the number, here's the information, it's this place, that place, yada, yada. 
can we go to New York? And she said, okay, not a problem. And we start making arrangements to get to New York for June 9th and the whole wonderful thing. And then we get a call. And it's a lady from the management office. And she says, oh, I regret to inform you. Paul will not be able to do the interview that day. And, oh, and of course, I hear, I hear those words and, and, and my heart sinks. I'm like, oh, come on, man. We, we, we've, we've made arrangements. You know, I'm thinking this in my head. We've made arrangements. Where my mom's going to drive me. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I can't believe it. And she says, but uh, would you mind speaking with uh, Gene Simmons? He's known as uh, the demon in the band, and he's one of the co-founders. And, and I'm like, why are you explaining to me who Gene Simmons is? Anyway, she, she, she says, and I said, oh, yes, of course, that would be, uh, you know, that would be lovely. Uh, be more than happy to, to, to talk to Gene, and that won't be an inconvenience at all. Now, the other thing I must mention is, at 11 years old, Yes, I was, uh, had a high proficiency in, in the English language, uh, but I also, uh, my voice hadn't broken, so I sounded a bit like a lady. I sounded like a girl, I guess. And it occurred to me that as we get down to New York, they're not going to expect an 11-year-old kid to walk in. They are going to expect a lady to walk in. So I say to my mom, I said, listen, would you mind doing the first part of this interview and then maybe just have me come in. Now, this was all legit, by the way. I mean, uh, we, we were, um, and, and in fact, we did. Uh, it was going to air on Denmark's radio, and if not, it was going to air on a kid's show in, on CBC. And it did air on a kid's show on CBC. But, of course, uh, I don't have tapes of that, but I have the tapes of the actual uh, recording, the unedited. Uh, Unreal to real, by the way. Uh, that's uh, how old school it was. Anyway, so... Um, my mom says, but I don't know anything about KISS. I can't do this interview. And I said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I said, I know everything you need to know about KISS. I know all their names. I know all blah, blah, blah. I've been a fan for... Now, of course, this is 1980. And, you know, my first KISS album that I bought was Dynasty. The first KISS show that I saw was August 6, 1979 at the Montreal Forum for Dynasty. And um, I've been, at this point a huge fan for, you know, a year and a half, <laughs> right? Two years. But I knew everything, right? Because we, we, you know, we had gone to Florida in, in, in 1979, and, and I had picked up the um, rubber, what, what were those, those, those plastic sticky kisses and a lunchbox and a thermos, and, uh, you know, hey, I had the little kiss remote control van and radio. I mean, I, I was a, a gigantic fan. And my mom says, okay, well, uh, we'll go if you can write all the questions. So, okay. So I write all the questions. Anyway, uh, we get to New York. We drive down from Montreal to New York. And, um, you know, with my mom driving, I think it must have been like an 87-hour drive. Oh, okay. It, it was probably like eight or nine, but it just felt like forever. Anyway, we, we, we get to New York, and we go do this interview. And we go into O'Coin management, and as far as I remember, we took an elevator up a few floors, and there was just this gorgeous lobby, and the secretary, and uh, we check in, say, yes, 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 yeah, we're here for an interview with Mr. Simmons, and so on and so forth. And the lady says to me, uh, wait there, and they take my mother in. And I'm like, 
oh. <laughs> and so she, she's armed with the questions that I had written her. And she does uh, an interview. Now, now, the tape that we have is about a 25-minute interview. I'm about eight of it, so you do the math. My mom is the rest of it. So she goes in, she does this interview, yada, 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 Gene answer, they talk about unmasked, they talk about she's so European, they talk about all kinds of wonderful stuff. And she ends the interview after 20 minutes or so, and says, or, you know, whatever, 15 minutes or so, and says, um, mind if my son comes in and asks you a few questions, and, and Gene, being the lovable guy that Gene is, says, yes, sure, of course, no problem. And so they come and get me in the lobby, and I walk in, to this room in O'Coin Management. And it is literally gold and platinum records from around the world. You know, whatever, Germany, Australia, Canada, States. I mean, literally, from what I can remember at least, from the top of the, the, you know, up to the ceiling, down to the floor. It was just covered with all these gold and platinum discs. And I remember these big sort of giant leather chairs, brown leather chairs, and, and jeans and a leather jacket with no makeup. And this is before they were unmasked, no makeup. And he's like, hey, how are you? you know, very exceptionally, exceptionally nice. And, uh, you know, basically uh, my mom says, uh, do you want to ask Gene anything? And we have this on tape and you'll hear it. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I launch into my questions. And, of course, I, I say something and then Gene tries to uh, you know, give and take, and, 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 and it's, you know, and it's great. It's a great little interview. And so I'm going to play that tape for you today on the second part of the show. It is only seven minutes or seven and a half minutes, but it was on June 9th, 1980. So I, I, I'm going to celebrate the 37th anniversary of my first interview with you, uh, with you. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and I certainly hope you get a kick out of it, because during the little segment, he talks about um, uh, all kinds of different things that, that did or didn't happen in, in history, and it's just, it's just intriguing. And, um, you know, listen, I, I think you really, really uh, get a kick out of it. And in fact, uh, let's be frank, I will get a kick out of including it uh, on, the, uh, on the show. And uh, I'll just finish with this. After the uh, interview uh, with me ended, and so on and so forth, uh, Gene looked at my mom and said, uh, you know, where, where are you guys from? And, you know, we're from Montreal. And, oh, would you like to go for lunch? And yada, yada, yada. And uh, my mom says, uh, no, we're good, thanks. And then we walked out. And so for 37 years, um, anytime my mom... Uh, disagrees with me, and I. Uh, this is my kicker. I just say, well, you shouldn't have said no to Gene because now I didn't have lunch with Gene in New York City, and we can never get that back. It's 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 over and done with, and I can just never get that back. So I don't care about whatever you're yelling at me about today because look what you did to me, right? I mean, you're you're with me on this. That seems fair and reasonable that I would throw that back at her for 37 years. Um, well, okay. Well, obviously I exaggerate. I only threw it back at her for 36 years. I, I haven't thrown it back at her uh, yet this year. Perhaps. It's still early in the year. We're only June. Got six more months. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's the story of uh, me interviewing 
uh, Gene Simmons back in 1980. And of course, it leads us up to this point where I'm still interviewing people and I'm still interviewing, interviewing rock stars. And I've got two great ones for you today, including uh, Great White's Mark Kendall. New album is Full Circle. And uh, Bobby Whitlock, who of course was in uh, Derek and the Dominoes with Eric Clapton and his wife Coco Carmel talking about their new tour. And so let us just get to that. Let's just move along. So I hope you don't mind that I forego the uh, rock news part of uh, today's episode, but I I think it's a good story and a good tale. And um, here we go. Let's uh, launch right into it. So uh, on three, two, one, I give you, from Great White, talking about the new album, Full Circle, guitarist Mark Kendall. We are speaking with Great White's Mark Kendall. Mark, always a pleasure uh, to talk to you. Thank you, Mitch. Yes. Yeah, talk so, to you again. Yeah, we've, I think we've done an interview for every album going back to, God, at least 15 years or so. so yeah, it's that's all, awesome, man. It's always a pleasure. So, uh, new album. Uh, just came out. It is yeah. called Full Circle. Let's start with the new stuff, and then we'll work our way back sort of into the history of the band and, and, and your, your history. Um, talk to me about getting this album put together and, and of course, having... Terry in the band and writing with you and, and singing with you? Well, um, a couple of Monsters of Cruise, Monster Cruises ago, I was in my room and I, re- I read this, I was reading the schedule to see who's playing and stuff, and I saw that Michael Wagner was going to be doing this question and answer thing. So I wanted to go, I wanted to see him and just say hi and stuff. And, uh, went to his question and answer thing. And actually I asked some questions myself that I knew the answers to, but I wanted the audience to hear, you know, cause he, he did things in the studio that were, you know, really memorable. And I, I wanted the audience to hear, hear some of the stuff that he done with sound effects because it, his sound effects were always created by him. You know what I mean? Like if, if you wanted a sound, he would actually like a motorcycle, for instance, he'd put mics out in the parking lot and he'd get a real one. You know what I mean? So he, he just had a ton of stories like that. And anyways, um, so I didn't really meet him then. Um, he actually came to watch us play and we just said hi. And then I saw him. I, I don't know where he went after we said hi. He, I was on the stage and it was kind of after the show and I was just leaving. So then we met later. And, you know, we talked a little bit and, you know, we said hi and just chatted. And then we kind of said our goodbyes. But when I was walking away, he said, hey, man, why don't we do something again? And I was just like, you know, I was kind of dumbfounded. Like, I, I didn't expect him to offer something like that. So we just kept in touch after that, um, trying to make a plan that would fit around his schedule and ours. And before we knew it, um, early this year, uh, in January and February, we just rented a house in Nashville and, you know, recorded for two months and came out with this record full circle. We thought it would be an apt title. You know, at first we were thinking along this song, naming it after a song that doesn't really have to mean anything, you know, we go, no, let's not do that again, you know. And Michael Lardy actually came up with the title Full Circle because Michael Wagner had done our very first EP and first album. And here, 30 plus years later, we're, we're back with them. So 
the the whole process was a complete joy. Um, he's such a he's such a great guy for one thing. Plus, he's you know the full top shelf producer, you know, and uh, we just we just loved it. You know, we learned a little bit um, from working with him. The way he records and stuff is not how we normally do it, but it was way better than the way we do it, which is get the drums and bass on tape basically and and do and then concentrate on one song at a time and finish it so so that was awesome and also we um hired a film crew from a company called rock slide media to come in and film the entire two months so you got you got the uh the songs at the early stages to a couple spats here and there <laughs> and you know it, i just thought it would be so cool years ago i'd seen this deep purple making of but it was done 25 years after the fact so i i thought how cool would it be if we you know had the fans look at us like writing the songs you know because we didn't have all the lyrics finished the arrangements weren't totally solid yet and uh i just thought it'd be fun you know for the fans to to kind of see how we do this, you know. It, it is and always, I, sorry, it yeah. is always interesting to see the the inside and get a glimpse of of what's going on. And uh, in, in fact, let me let me talk about that in the sense that he did your your first um, EP or album back in the day, and then of course you you didn't use him for a while. Um, what has right. changed in the way that you record? Because back then, I mean, we we were still in the in the age of razor blades and tape. And now it's all, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's, what is sort of the greatest yeah. changes you have seen in, in the recording process and, and actually getting stuff, um, I don't want to say on tape because we don't get stuff on tape anymore, but you know what I mean. Uh, right, right. Right. The difference is, well, for one thing, the editing's like way quicker. We used to do like one edit and we would take like a lunch break. You know what I mean? Because uh, if you're doing an edit with, two inch tape and stuff like that. It, it, it's, you know, it's quite a process to learn out just the click of a mouse. Um, but Wagner, even though he is recording digital, he's pretty old school. Um, just the way, like he doesn't use auto tune. He doesn't pitch correct anything. He still says, don't sing flat. You know, you can do, you know, just do it again. <laughs> you know, so he doesn't like, you know, he's he's still that old school thinking where he doesn't want the machines to play the music. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, the difference really is, is the time, the time consuming way we used to record, you know, spending two days getting the kick drum sound that doesn't, he, he's really um, like when he did our record, our first album, he'd only done like, except maybe a couple other projects, I think a Doc and demo record. Yeah. So he didn't have, you know, Ozzy, Metallica, Alice Cooper, and all these, all these experience, you know, but he was awesome back then even, but I, I just think, you know, a hundred million records later and still working on his craft, uh, you know, it, it's pretty awesome to look at, but um, yeah, that seems to be the difference really is the time that it used to take. You know, you can do a record a little quicker now with with the editing process. Like I said, it's just a click of a mouse. But we're still old school in the way we 
write and the way we, you know, kind of record is really the same. It's just like excluding the two inch reel to reel tape machine, you know, right. but we still get into a room. We jam together. You know, we still write exactly the same. So in, in that regard, not a lot has really changed as far as the, the way we do things, but the technology is is different. Is is really different. Uh, so, so uh, you know, over the last, well, over the your career, you, you started off with Michael. Uh, you used Alan Niven to to produce. You used Michael Lardy, Jack Blades. You sort of stayed in house. I mean, you know, Jack is uh, yeah. You know, Michael was in Night Ranger, so there was there, there was that connection. But you you kept it in house. You even had some production credit on the last album, Elation. Um, yeah. why, why this time did you choose to go outside and go back to those outside ears? Cause I, as a fan have always felt that outside ears are very important. When I see a band self-produce, my first thought is, Oh God, why? <laughs> you know? Right. And, and that might be unfair. I mean, granted, that's just my own little bias, but, but you know, what was the importance of getting outside ears and just having a fresh perspective on, hey, this is what's, you know, what our music is sounding like? Yeah, well, for me, when he first offered it, it it got my heart racing. I got super excited. Uh, and I think part of that reason is to go into a different environment and have a, a, a high-end pro like Wagner overlooking things instead of us overlooking ourselves. And um, I, I just felt it was a good time for a change, and the band seemed very excited about it. So I knew if we did it this way, we'd all be vibrating at a high frequency and our energy would be real good. Just going into a place that where you don't know what's going to happen, there's just something about that 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 get your energy going and i just i just thought it was time you know especially um it coming out of nowhere the way it did and you can tend to it's hard to get super excited when you know exactly what's going to happen before it happens you know what i mean so it, it that was just and it just sounded fun you know to go fly to nashville get a house you know, have no distractions, which we had none. We were on a lake in the middle of nowhere in the forest, you know. So it it was great for the band to to get together like that and just hang out every day, which we don't normally do, and and just concentrate on the music, not, only the music, not the recording process, not the producing. Just play music like we're a band. We play music and we write music. And let someone else twist the knobs. You know, a guy who has a, a very, very impressive career. You know, he's done mostly all the bands from our era. Yeah. You know. I actually and, have and his discography in great. front of me. And, and it, it, you know, I pulled it up uh, for the interview as part of the research. And it's, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, uh, Breaking <laughs> the Chain by Dawkins, Tooth and Nail, Dawkins Extreme, uh, Janet Jackson, Megadeth, Metallica, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, it's just Skid Row, Testament, Striper, Warrant. Why? I mean, it, <laughs> why didn't you go back to him <laughs> a know. couple of times? I mean, holy mackerel. Um, yeah. It is the second album with uh, Terry on vocals. Uh, how, yeah. is, how does that change 
the approach to the song making because you know you know listen uh jack for better or for worse had a very distinctive vocal style uh, very much sure. associated with uh, the great white sound and and i don't mean to disparage him or, or say anything nasty about him because i'm very grateful for those albums in the 80s uh but now you have a new vocalist how do you approach right. the song making do you write for the classic great white sound or you say okay we've got a new guy new tone new pitch new whatever let's sort of make new great white music if you know what i mean in, in the sense of yeah, we're saying we're changing the song structures. We're changing the the musical well, motifs. Unfortunately, or fortunately, like I said earlier, we're still old school. We haven't changed anything. But um, if anything, there's a little bit more, possibly a little bit more, like riff rock on this album. That there's really no sappy ballads, if for the lack of a better word. Um, the ballad we do have, Terry can show emotion, but power as well. So we didn't really change anything for his voice, if you will. But I do know that he really shines when he shows a lot of power. So um, there's a little bit more of that, but it wasn't like we sat down to go, hey, let's write this kind of record or whatever. We, we, we've always been like this, like we've never done a record uh, and go, let's do this type of a record. We just, we get about 20 songs together and just kind of pick the best ones, you know, like the best ones to make it. And that's pretty much how we do it. So we didn't do, you know, consciously try to write certain music for Terry. We just write the way we write and, you know, hopefully handles it. And he did a, an absolute spectacular job on this album. Yeah. I mean, he's just sang his heart out and, and, um, you know, to have a, you know, a high end production like this with him shining, it's, it's just, you know, we're thrilled with it. Yeah. He did a great, uh, an absolutely great job. And I, I unfortunately haven't seen the band live since you've changed singers, which, is is shameful i mean uh, either you need to get out to the northeast more or get up to canada so i can get to a show but um come come out to the festival in the uk we're playing with lover boy man it's your boys yeah I, i'm actually seeing lover boy um what are we here we are june 5th so i'm seeing them uh on june 7th so in two days i can't wait um awesome yeah it's gonna be great um but but the live show, you know, I, I've seen the YouTube videos of, of Terry, and I see what he delivers live. It's just a, a very powerful performance. But from the musician's point of view, your point of view, what does he bring to you in terms of, um, you know, performance, in terms of, of career longevity? I mean, you know, why why just sort of pick Terry over anybody else? What was it about him that you said, yeah, he's the right guy for this band? Well, after, you know, we heard a couple other singers Mm -hmm. uh, go out with us, just filling in. Uh, The the one thing was his positive energy, you know, just on the human side of him. He's he's got a really positive attitude. You you feel good when you're around this guy. Um, He's a songwriter. He's a songwriter, you know. Uh, that's kind of big. Like he grabs his guitar and shows you a riff. Um, he has melody ideas. You can you can hand him music, 
and he can come back with a song. Um, you know, so he has a lot to offer in the sense that he has great sense of melody. I can show him some melodies lines that I have for a song, but he will, he'll blow my idea out of the water. It'd be like Pat Boone giving uh, Metallica uh, an idea for a melody, you know, and, and Hatfield would come back and go, oh, okay, I see what you're saying, but I'm going to say this, you know what I mean? Right. So, so he kind of brings that, um, that element, which is, uh, he gives us a lot of surprises, uh, welcomed surprises. We, we don't really argue unless it's about a song. Cause we're always fighting to make the song great. Um, you know, I mean, not, not fist fights, but sometimes the only time we rub each, we don't fight about stupid stuff, but when it comes to the songs, we're all pretty passionate about it. Um, he's very passionate about the music. And so if I'm feeling, if I've worked on a part for quite a while, I'll literally, there's a part in this documentary where he felt that we should cut this part in half. And I felt like, no, we shouldn't do that. And I'm literally like almost crying. I play it like I play it until they like it. <laughs> I keep playing it until I, I want, until I get a different answer. So, He's involved in that. And I, I just like his, uh, like I said, his energy. Uh, he's, he's a gifted songwriter. So, you know, he just brings a lot, you know, and, uh, and he gives everything he has, every performance. He's told me he's had the flu before and he killed it. I, I was thinking, you know, like cancel what, six dates, you know? Uh, no, he, he kills it. So I, I don't even have to worry when he's sick. Um, he, his, his, uh, intonation, his, his sense of pitch is unsurpassed. I, I cannot believe this guy sings in key like all the time. I mean, you know, Wagner, like I said, he doesn't use auto tune. So you have to just get it right. Get the performance. Rarely did he have to fix anything. He, you know, he'd maybe go back and sing one line occasionally, but so he brings that. It, it's just. You know, so he he gives us a lot. You know, we yeah. really enjoy him. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, as you know, in 2013, I put together that that Kiss tribute album um, for the palliative care home up here, and and Terry did a song right. for me, uh, Forever. And you know, listen, he was doing a song that was a, you know for a charity for for this thing. And he took it so seriously. There, there was, I mean, he wanted to make sure that it was the best guitarist that was matched up with him and that he had the best vocal performance. And, and, and I really appreciated that, that passion from him, the fact that he didn't just say, you know, here's the song, okay, leave me alone. Like, he, he, <laughs> you, I got to love that energy. Yeah, and, he... and, and you too, by the way. You know, you also did, um, you played guitar on, on Love Gun, and uh, yeah. you did your own special take on the um, on the solo and stuff, and I love that because you were like, "Yeah, okay, I can just sort of sit and do what Ace did, but I want to make it my own." And uh, that was really a really... little bit, but yeah, yeah, no, no, but that was great. <laughs> yeah, that was a great uh, thing. Yeah. Um, you were talking about positivity. You have been sober for many years, and and fill in the blank. How, how many years has it been exactly? It'll be nine years, November second this year. Wow! First of all, congratulations because it's always a 
uh, a tough road, I guess. Well, in fact, you tell me, has it been a tough road to sort of turn your life and just say enough's enough? Well, you know, I've been getting sober since 1991. Right. And I was able to like white knuckle it like for like two years at a time at points. But one thing I noticed is like my, the, my character, it, in other words, it was as if I just removed alcohol but didn't change anything else. Right. So you weren't ready lie, for it yet. Like, no, I was like lying to my wife for like no reason at all. Right. It's like the truth would totally work here. And I, I was just that person that, you know, hiding alcohol and, and all that stuff. But I think the reason for my occasional slips, which was a few, but I'd always go back and then, and then I'd, you know, be sober for like a year, you know what I mean? So, and I was a beer drinker and, you know, go ahead and put it low on the food chain, but I got just as much pain as guys that drink vodka, you know? Right. So I, I just got, I wanted a different result is the reason for my slips. I wanted to be able to drink like a normal, sociable, watching the game, having a couple of beers guy. And sometimes I would start out that way and I go, look, you know, like I'm, I'm cured, but it, it always ended up with the same result. So eventually like in 2008, I actually kind of, you know, just decided to be honest and told my wife I drank. I don't even know why I'm just so upset. And I go, I'm going to go in and start listening to these guys with tons of sobriety, take direction, do it right. And, you know, it, it's worked. I just, you know, just don't drink today type thing, you know. And I reached out on Facebook and trying to help other people. I got 93 people in my online support group. You know, we celebrate milestones, time, you know, encourage each other. Just something away from whatever programs they're in and stuff. And when I reach out, all I offer is my sober friendship. and you know, so I'm not offering any miracles. I just kind of share what helped me. And, you know, one thing being not getting sober for other people, that really helped me. When I did it for myself, that's when I had success. When, when you get sober because, you know, mama doesn't like daddy drunk or, you know, the kids don't like you drunk or whatever, as soon as everybody gets happy, you start up again. But if you're doing it for yourself, because you want to be health, a healthy, sober man, that that has the best chance of success, and it's, I've done you know pretty good. Yeah, nine years, nine years, good. So, what was <laughs> that? Yeah, but you know, what was that that moment where it, it just enough was enough? I mean, you, you said since ninety one, yeah. so okay, you were in and off, you know, on in and off the merry go round, and okay, I'm drunk this year right. and I'm not drunk that, you know, and I don't mean to, to, to sound flippant about it, but, right. it, but right, where, right. where was that moment? Was there one of those, uh, you hit rock bottom and you just said, Oh, it's either death or I get straight. I mean, was there one of those moments? Well, no, not, not so much, uh, a do or die situation. Okay. I was just so, so tired of lying. You know, alcoholics are town planners. If you see, if you see a say your wife doesn't like you drinking, and you see a spot on the road where there's like a two day availability, we plan that drinking out. You know what I mean? I could totally get away with it. You know what I mean? 
So I just got tired of uh, being deceitful. I got tired of lying to myself. Just just basically tired of not being honest, you know, even with myself. Does that come and, from age, though? Really, is, is this an age thing as you get, you know, past 50 and whatever? You just go, well, it's enough already. Just, you know. Because, I, I mean, not, I, not really, not really so much of a growing up thing. More okay. like it doesn't work when I drink. I, I finally figured this out. And I just really wanted to be sober. I, I just said, you know, this time I'm going to really listen, not have like, one foot in the door and one out, you know what I mean? Like with my ear going, okay, tell me, tell me what it's like and tell me how to do it. But really all I'm thinking about is going back out, you know, it's like this time I just raised my arms up and said, you know, help. I, I really want this, you know, and now I'm able to help others. And it's, it's just my, my whole life just got better. As soon as I raise a beer can to my mouth, my whole world goes dark. It's unbelievable. It's like the uh, just the karma of the universe attacks me. It's it's really quite it's it's astounding, you know how that happens. Now my life is uh, very bright and uh, good family life. Everything just there's no drama, you know. It, it's just wonderful. I just love this. I want to hold on to it for dear life. <laughs> yeah, and I can imagine also that it's also the stage in the career. I mean, there's the family life, but also the stage in the career. Because, you know, when you first worked with Michael back in the early 80s, you know, you had to have a hit. You had to be part of the scene. You had to be on this tour. You had. And then, you know, Alan Niven came in, and then and then they had that, that pressure. And this, and now, you yeah. know, you can release full circle, and, and it'll do what it'll do. And you can go out and do the festivals and the shows, and it'll be what it'll be. Like, like everything sort of is like, eh, that, that, right? There's, there's no more drama now. There's no more, oh, well, you didn't have a top 20 single, so you're going to be dropped from the label in your contract. Now it's just like, okay. Right. I mean, is that... that that's... Yeah. I mean, we take the music real serious. And, of course, and of course. I really that's what I mean. am looking forward, looking forward to uh, the... You know, we do every... We've hired a, a big team of people that promote the record and get it to the fans. Because that's the most challenging. It's just getting the music to the people because we don't have all the mediums we had in the 80s. So, um, so I, you know, and my whole thing is if we didn't make a, it's not, I could swear to you, it's not about making money, but I would just kill for, for the fans to feedback and tell me what they think and all that. Even in the 80s, it was like that. I just wanted to hear are you hearing what I'm hearing? I mean, what do you think? You know what I mean? Cause you please yourself first, but then you're, you're kind of, God, I hope people like this. You know, I hope they're hearing it the way I do. <laughs> so I still have that, that, that energy, uh, that I really want the fans to check it out and dig it. You know, you mentioned before that you wanted to be, um, uh, what's the word normal and just sort of sit back and, and watch the game and, and have a beer like everybody else. So right. when <laughs> the Los Angeles Rams came back to, well, Los Angeles, uh, we had texted or, or emailed each other, and you were all very excited. Uh, talk to me a little yeah. bit about that side. Just, you know, getting away from the music for a second. How big of sure. a football fan are you, and how sort of important it is is it that you have the L.A. Chargers and the L.A. Rams now? I mean, yeah. Uh, 
how how exciting is that for you? Well, here here's the funny part. I really am not a monster football guy, but I just it always bothered me that Los Angeles. I mean, one of the you know L.A., New York, you know, that we don't have a football team. It just makes us. I don't think it makes us look very good. And the other thing, I'm kind of carrying the torch for my dad. He, he he was like the ultimate Rams fan to where even when they went to St. Louis, he was like, go Rams, you know. So it was always his team. So I, I was really happy that they were coming, even though it's a very young team and all whatever the uh, politics are with, with uh, being a championship type organization. But just to have a football team in L.A., it's just embarrassing not to, I think. So it was more of that. I was just going, God, we're Los Angeles, and we don't have a football team. This is, like, embarrassing. And we haven't had one for years and years and years. And I'm just So when they came back to L.A., okay, I'll sweat some games now. i got a home team to root for. It's just I've always rooted for the home team, uh, no matter what, you know. And if they don't win, I'll go next. I'll go to the next closest to home. <laughs> well, you've got you the know, Los Angeles know, I, Chargers. You, you've got uh, you've got both. So. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I don't have to. Even, you know, I got to just have one of those teams win. I guess I'm all right. You know, yeah, but no, I usually sweat the games. I sweat the games when it gets toward the end. You know, when it's playoff time and all that. That's when I start paying attention. Yeah, like like the rest of us, but uh, you know, it's, it's just it's just funny because I, I remember you you had sent out some messages about about uh, the Rams, and it's like, oh yeah, it's about time. Um, uh, I I did want to ask you one last thing about the uh, the sobriety and stuff, uh, if I may, just not not to be negative, but it's been nine sure. years. Is is yeah. there? Are, are you at peace in the sense with the sobriety that you feel that it's going to be forever and always? Or is there that constant fear of tomorrow could be the slip up, or Wednesday could be the slip yeah. up? Or I mean, is, is right. there that sort of dogging fear? Because I, I spoke once to Dave Mustaine of Metallica, um, Metallica, Megadeth, right. and he said that you aren't an ex-drug addict. You are you are always a drug addict, but you're just not using at the moment. Uh, right? Is that sort of? Are, are you sort of a drunk that's not drinking at the moment, or are you? No, I'm done, and I know I'm done. There's no fear. There's no doubt. Stop it. it we're, this conversation's over. I mean, you know. Well, first of all, first of all, I don't think about forever okay. or the past. Okay. My whole concern is today, and I just have to do that every day. I, you know, when I when a newcomer comes up to me and says, "Man, I really want to get sober. I'm done. I never want to drink again." I feel like he's in trouble right out of the gate. You're giving yourself way too big of a task to not drink forever. Forget about trying not to drink forever. You can't do that. You have to stay in the moment. You have to wake up. I wake up in the morning and pray for my sobriety every single morning. And before I go to bed, I think, you know, give thanks. That's the way. So, so, so there is like the only way you can do the only way you can do it is one day at a time. I mean, and sorry, but that's what works. And uh, I, I just don't know any other way, you know, but to to start one, that's uh, something that can also be dangerous is to get cocky in your sobriety, to feel like I got this wired, I'm, I got it handled, you know, um, I, you can't do that. You know, I know, I know from just other people and 
just it's just a learning process. I I take the simple things from these people with tons of sobriety, and one of the biggest things I've taken away is the one day at a time. That that's one of the uh, that's one of the best ways um, to live your life, even. Yeah, no, is, I you know, I fully agree. You know, I I had done a a master's in psychology years ago in in university, and I remember one particular lesson where they were talking about proximal goals versus distant goals and uh, you know and I'm recapulate you know something I did 25 years ago but essentially proximal goals were just get to that next step you know don't plan out the next thousand miles plan sort of one mile at a time and when you get to mile one then worry about getting to mile two and it, it just seems more manageable rather than Oh, I've got a thousand miles to go, and shit, I've got nine hundred and ninety-eight more. Damn it, right? And right, it, it, it sort of seems to be the key to life is just working in proximal goals rather than distant goals. Yeah. Just, just just get to the next goal post or the next finish line, and then we'll worry about that later. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and we yeah, and that's really that that's it in a nutshell. I mean don't confuse yourself and give yourself too big of a task. I mean, I, I don't think there's much you can't do one day at a time. I, I mean, I can do a lot, you know, for myself one day at a time, but yeah. I can't tell you I, I'm never going to do something forever. I mean, the, because the challenge is just too enormous. Why confuse yourself and make this big impossible thing, you know, but I can do it today. I mean, you know, and th and that's just the best way. It works the best for me, and I think it's a a good way to treat yourself well is to do it one day at a time. Well, it's the and, it, it's the it, only it way to do it. I see. It, it really is yeah. because life has so many curveballs that you know it, it's nice to plan your retirement. You know, five years down the road, but but who knows? So it's just to, you <laughs> exactly. Know, you know, and by the way, I'm looking. I might to... still be feeling excellent by then. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, you can't blame that. You can't plan it like that. No, you, know? you can't. By the way, if, I'm... if my feet won't, if my feet won't carry me to the stage, I'm gonna have to think about you know something else. But cause so far, I'm I can't wait for this next gig because we're gonna play like uh, it's actually we have to do two shows because uh, it's this casino that's I heard it's fairly small, so we're doing two shows. So we're gonna be two two new ones in one of the sets and two in the other. So I'm like, I'm like pumped like a madman. Oh, that's great. Now, uh, speaking of, of, uh, you know, doing shows and career, by the way, I'm looking at your tour dates. You do have a show that's about three hours from me in, um, at the turning stone resort in Verona, New York on July 7th. So I might uh -huh. just have, I might just have to come visit, uh, and, and, and have that'd a look. Be, that'd be great. That'd be perfect. Actually. It's a Friday. It's uh, it's it's middle of summer. Can't you can't beat that? But um, just sort of back to the interview portion of this. Um, you just said as long as your feet get you to the stage and so on and so on. And and I mentioned retirement plan. Is, do you sort of play music? On, <laughs> no, but do you do you play music and and keep Great White going or whatever you know Mark Kendall solo going until you can't. Or do you say, okay, we've got another good 10 years, and then I'm going to go fishing and, and watch L.A. Ram games and just you know kick back and enjoy life? I like, I like to do things away from the music anyways. Right. So I, I'm not going to change anything 
But this whole retirement bit, it's like I just envision people just sitting around. I'm retired now, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little bit scary about that. But um, I just, you know, until I die, I'm going to play music in some way or another, which is a little blues band that just plays clubs or, you know, or, or do something musically because I literally went all in with music from the time I was 17. I go, I'm, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. I don't care what format it is, but this is what I want to do. I'm not going to have the escape job or the something to fall back on. I guess I'll just be like a, a bum or something if I don't do that, if I don't make it at this. Yeah, and, and, and we kind of, you know, that's, but it's sort of so, silly to talk retirement when you're in a creative field, right? I mean, you know, Picasso didn't yeah. retire or, or, or Shakespeare didn't retire. I mean, you don't, you don't hang up the pen or hang up the, the guitar, or, right? You know, not when you have energy. No. Not when you have energy. I mean, if you start to not feel well or, you know, just the thought of getting on an airplane, you know, you cringe because you don't feel good or, you're, you know, maybe your body hurts or something. And it starts to get really difficult. But right now, it's like easy because there's no additional drama. Um, there's no, it's just playing music for people. And that's pretty much it. And we've got to get there. Obviously, the traveling is the worst thing about being in a band. It's the only thing that's difficult. Playing on stage is like, you know, it, it's easy, but we take it real serious. You know, we yeah. we want the people to get their money's worth. We want to play our hearts out. And, you know, and I do that every show I play now. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, just to sort of cap off on, on, on the sobriety thing, that has probably added years to your career in the fact that you can endure the plane rides and endure all the sort of inconveniences because your body's yeah. not being brutalized by, by yeah. The, yeah, you know? Well, I think even in the past with bands from the 80s, a lot of people were partying hard and doing long tours. And I'm telling you, you're not consistent if your body doesn't feel good. Uh, you know, if you're just wailing on alcohol nightly, you might play okay the first couple nights. But when you get into the tour like a couple weeks in, you know, your body's a little run down, you don't feel so good. There's There's no way you're going to be consistent if you're hurting yourself <laughs> all the time, you yeah, know, you're dehydrating so that's yourself. one thing I can, I've been, uh, rewarded it, with my sobriety by my consistency with my, my shows from night to night. I'm, I'm pretty consistent these days. I, you know, I feel like I'm playing my best that I can play, you know, yeah, and I, it doesn't change much because you feel similar every morning when you wake up, you know, it's not like, Oh God, this hangover is worse than the last one I had, you know? So, uh, no, I, I liked it. No, it's 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 great, and it's it's great to see um, the bands that I that I love and I've always loved still out there, still doing it. Uh, Mark, uh, you know, hey, full circle. By the way, I've 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 listened to it uh, before it was released, since it's been released, and it, the band is kicking ass. I mean, the band is just doing what the band should be doing, and that's making great rock and roll music. And uh, you know, as 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 a fan, thank you for that. Thanks, Mitch. You know, I played it for Mark Slaughter, and he goes. And I really uh, felt this was a good thing that he said to me was, he goes, this is what you guys need to be playing. <laughs> and I go, thanks, Mark. That was pretty cool, man. 
Yeah, no, he's right. And by yeah. the way, the uh, that that show in Turning Stone on uh, July seventh is with Slaughter. So <laughs> maybe we can. Uh, oh, yeah, there you go. It's a, it's a perfect. Yeah, night. maybe he'll tell me how. Maybe he'll tell me how great I am there too. <laughs> <laughs> he'll announce it on stage. Mark has some great music himself. You know, he does things away from Slaughter that are pretty epic. He's a good, yeah, good songwriter and singer himself. Well, he's got um, a new solo album, actually. Hold on, let me. Uh, I'm gonna actually quickly look it up because his new solo album is out now, or out soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's 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 just quickly give Mark a plug here because I don't have it. It's a called, ah, right it's, call, it's called it's called Halfway go, There. Uh, a little plug for Mark. Uh, um, the new album is Halfway go, There, and it's uh, it's on Dave Ellefson's label, uh, of course, the basis for Megadeth. Oh, so. yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, Megadeth. Uh, yep. Guitar, he plays guitar, right? He's the bass player, yeah. And, and, oh, he's uh, a bass player. No, I'm sorry. He's a bass player. And also, um, we, we chat back and forth a little bit because he's got the sobriety thing happening. Yep. Yep. And he's got his yeah. EMP. He's a great guy. Oh, David Ellefson, absolutely fantastic. I love David. He's, he's wonderful. Um, always very kind to, to talk to always very uh, um affable he just he's just a great guy but you know so he, and he's uh, got a little success he just opened a coffee place yeah yeah coffee I place out in, in minnesota he's got ellison coffee so no 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 i mean you know listen the, the, <laughs> the bottom line is that good things happen to good people uh and and his, his success ellison makes sense i mean he's such a great person mark slaughter same thing uh, you and Great White, sure. same thing. Um, you know, there's a reason you guys are still around after 20, 30, 40 years in some cases, because you haven't pissed off the entire world. You haven't been pains in the tuchuses, you know. So you know, more power to all of you, all three of you. There you go. Thank, thanks, Mitch. Always a pleasure, and uh, we'll do it again soon. And, uh, you know, I will come out to that July 7th show. I'm going to mark it on the calendar and... Uh, Make sure I get my uh, my rear end uh, down the highway to that. You'll be my personal guest. Thank you. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaVon. Mitch LaVon. Hey, it's John Horn here. I'm the host of the new podcast that you need to subscribe to right now. It's called Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. And every week I chat about the creative process with stars who have roots and ties to theater. Who so far would you ask? Well, let me tell you, we have Rain Wilson, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Dana Delaney, Brian Cranston, David Copperfield, Matt Walsh, and so many more yet to come. It's called Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with me, John Horn. You could download it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe now on iTunes, or at podcastone.com. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back to Rock Talk, and I'd like to, of course, thank Great White's Mark Kendall. The new album is Full Circle. It is out now. Uh, definitely worth picking up, especially if you like that sort of bluesy, melodic rock. Uh, very well done. We have got, or I have got next, Bobby Whitlock, formerly of Derek and the Dominoes. He wrote, of course, as I mentioned at the front of the show, uh, half of Layla and other assorted love songs, including uh, one of the most uh, famed songs, or, or, or just say a song that a lot of folks have grown up liking called Bell Bottom Blues. And, of course, he worked with Eric Clapton after that, played on George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. 
so we talked to him, and his wife joins us to talk about their sparkly show shoes tour, the sparkly shoes tour. Uh, but first, uh, let us get to this tape of me at 11 years old, uh, sitting down with the demon in Kiss, the one, the only, Mr. Gene Simmons. And um, June 9th, 1980 is when it occurred, so we are now looking this week at the 37th uh, anniversary. Uh, up front, at the beginning of the show, you, you heard my entire spiel. You heard where, why, when, how, and all of that. So I will spare you the, uh, the details and uh, the rigmarole. And so, um, without further ado, here is me at 11 years old and the demon from KISS, the one, the only, Gene Simmons. What is it you would like to ask Gene? Mm. Why do you have makeup? Oh my god, what a question. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should tell us about it. Why do we wear makeup? Yeah. Hmm. Why do you wear sneakers? So you don't get your feet cut. Hmm. Well, he got out of that very nicely. I think I think the only reason we ever decided to wear makeup or costumes or anything else was to try to make Kiss a special kind of band. I didn't want to look like anybody else. I didn't want to wear. I mean, if I dressed like this and walked out on stage, it wouldn't be very. It wouldn't be very exciting. Also, the makeup is another way of uh, expressing your personality. You know, clowns do it, and actors do it, and. Uh, you know, a long time ago, when Indians went on on uh, on war, when they went into war, in, in the rain right? Witch doctors would put on makeup, and dancers would put on makeup, and a lot of people still do it. They have masquerade parties and Halloween. It's just a way of of uh, dressing up for a special event. You know, every show for us is special. Yeah, but like most things, say that uh, that they say that. Um, that it's, you know, so like people will follow them until they take off their makeup. What do you mean? I didn't understand that. Like they, in the magazine, they say that you'll follow, like the fans will follow you if you have the makeup until you take it off. But it's sort of an extra public relations that oh, it's I part see. of your fascination that nobody of will course. ever, you know. Oh, of course. In, in other words, you think that if we took the makeup off, people wouldn't follow us. It's possible. It's also possible that if Santa Claus stopped wearing his red outfit and uh, took the pillows away from his stomach and you found out that it was your father, you know, coming through the chimney, or it was your uncle or somebody, that uh, Santa Claus would stop being a magical kind of person. I think maybe you're right. I think maybe if Superman start, stopped wearing his costume and just dressed up like Clark Kent, maybe he wouldn't be Superman anymore. Maybe you're right. Are you a kind of modern-day clown? No, I don't think clown, because I'm not making fun of myself. No, but I meant in the, in the general context of entertaining, bringing happiness. Yeah, maybe modern-day heroes I like more, only because clowns make fun of themselves. We take, they don't take themselves seriously. We do. I mean, uh, Superman or somebody like that will never make fun of himself, even though he's dressed, dressed very strangely, you know, blue and red tights and a cape, a red cape. So, I mean, so that's very... You, it's not normal for a man to wear that. Now, that doesn't mean it's good or bad. But I don't think clowns is the word. Maybe heroes. Do you I, have anything else? Well, what do you think about the people who sell things without you knowing about it? 
What do you think about people who sell things without us knowing about it? I don't know. I think. I bet you do. I think it's well. You know, if they if they have a good time, I think it's it's okay for them. I don't, and I'll tell you why I don't agree. If somebody can sell something and put our name on it, let's say you bought a T-shirt and it said "Kiss" on it, but we we never told these people that they had the right to do it. Now, let's say you take the shirt home, the T-shirt home, and it shrinks. Or let's say the kiss falls off, and you want your money back. Now you can't go back to these people because they don't exist; they disappear. All they care about is taking your money and disappearing. But if you buy something that says "kiss" on it, that we authorize, we ultimately are responsible for it. So if you buy a truck and it doesn't work, you can take it back to the manufacturer and say, "Look, this doesn't work," and you can get your money back. And that's the most important reason for making sure that you authorize something. But the people who sell like these pictures and all this. What do you think? Some people in London sell pictures of you and all this. I think it's wrong. They know it's wrong, and if they, uh, they yeah, they do it for the money. And if they become very big, you know, if they be, if they do a lot of business, then our lawyers call them and they get sued. And that's life. Well, like there's one thing called the Kiss Underground, and they said that that you joined it. Yeah, that's true. Now, see, that's a nice little thing. There are some guys from. Kansas City, someplace, who、uh, put out a little magazine all by themselves. Now it's really not supposed to happen, except we don't see that they're money hungry. They're not trying to rob anybody, you know, and they're not charging a lot of money for it. It's just a hobby, and so we support it. You know, we send little articles and we call them up on the phone and say hi. But、uh, the people that and they give their address, so you can write in and say, "Look, I didn't get my magazine. Would you send another one?" And, they, and they'll send it to you. But the people that bootleg. That's a word that means、uh, somebody who puts out something. Yeah, but like, there's some bootlegs that have names, like、uh, I have a. Yes, but Kim says that's okay. Like I have a name, like the sum that says bootlegs, destroys Anna, destroys Anaheim, and takes、uh, takes on Tokyo. Like、yeah,、that. those are records that came out that were not authorized. Those records are not supposed to be out there because they're not good records. If you listen to those records, they're recorded live and. They sound terrible, and that's why we said that they weren't allowed to do it. But they did it,、yeah. and、uh, they may have been taken to court. I don't know. Because like, there's lots of people who sell them. Like, oh, I know. All kinds of people all over the place. They sell them. Thousands. Like, there's a, mag- a French magazine. There, they, they say that,、uh, that there's two different. Ma- one says that when you were a teacher, you liked the students, and this one they say that you quit because you hated because you couldn't control them and you hated them. No, the reason I stopped being a teacher is because I found out that I didn't want to be a teacher. I thought if I stood in front of everybody, everybody would listen to me and everybody would be looking at me, and that's the wrong reason to be a teacher. You should want to be a teacher because you want to convey knowledge. And I found out that I wanted to be a teacher only so that people can look at me and listen to what I was saying, and that's the wrong reason. You know, I mean, also at the end of the day, no matter how good my lesson was, nobody clapped. <laughs> Nobody went. Yay! That was a great lesson, and that's what, what I was looking for.、Teach? Sixth grade.、Uh-huh. Well, of course, English, French. All of、Everything. them. When you、oh, teach、yeah. sixth grade. The,、hmm? um, what did Peter leave? Did he have a? I already、process? asked that. Okay. <laughs> and I think Tim Simmons has has to go in a minute or so. I know you would love to spend your whole life with him. I know that. Oh, if you had been very lucky, he might have been your that, teacher. Is that true when you were in? When when you begin that you had empty arms on the stage to make, like、uh, to make it bigger, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
You had to fool people. You, know, you had to make people believe that you were something special. We couldn't afford it. We didn't have any money to buy a lot of amplifiers. Okay. Well, after, the, after the first record, you started having a little and little more. Yeah, but we didn't. Not until the fourth record did anything really big happen because did, it cost so much to tour. You know. Did like when you, when you and Paul like when you started off? Did you ever have anything like? Uh, did you have a name of a group like I don't know? Like Cheap Trick before they came famous. Before we only had two members they called Fuse. Yeah, I know that. That's very good. And before that, they were called Sick Man of Europe. Did you know that? No. Yes. Thank um, you very much, Steve. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. Me at 11 years old, sitting down with the one and only Gene Simmons. Uh, a great, great memory. Uh, 37 years ago. Uh, unbelievably, uh, how time has flown. And uh, there you go. Big thank you to anybody who was involved in making that happen. Uh, my mom, the KISS organization, and so on and so forth. I would also like to thank Sean Franklin, who uh, took the audio from me and uh, did some studio magic to sort of boost all the levels. Sean, of course, is uh, better known for the work he does with Anthrax. Uh, they've recently done some reissues, and uh, Sean is the one who digs through the vaults and picks out... Um, different songs and different bits and different stuff and then he cleans it all up and uh, so on and so forth so big shout out to uh, to Sean for that and uh, I will be right back with Bobby Whitlock you're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn Rock Talk and there you have it uh, Gene Simmons the uh, Demon of Kiss uh, certainly hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed playing it for you uh, it makes me wonder, though, uh, now that I've played it and you've had a chance, would you want to hear the entire sort of 23, 24-minute tape? Uh, keeping in mind that the first, you know, 15, 16, whatever minutes uh, is my mom interviewing uh, Gene Simmons back in the day, and she asks him why did Peter Chris leave and all that wonderful stuff. Anyway, if you would like to hear the whole thing, um, head over to the Facebook, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, or the Twitter, simply at... Mitch LaFon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And when I post the link to this episode, when the episode is up and I'm sharing it with folks, just hit the comments and say, yeah, man, we'd love to hear the rest of it, or, yeah, no, that was enough, thanks, we're, we're good. Uh, and, you know, whatever, on Twitter or on Facebook, and I will look at, at the different replies and I will uh, judge and govern myself uh, accordingly. Anyway... Uh, let us get on to our final, final guest of the episode. Singer, songwriter, keyboardist, musician, all-around great guy, Bobby Whitlock. We talk about his upcoming Sparkly Shoes tour with his wife, Coco Carmel, and she does join us uh, for the conversation. But we also talk about his time with Derek and the Dominoes, and of course that very, very important album that they put out. Uh, working, of course, with Eric Clapton uh, before, beyond, and all that stuff, working with a Beatle, the Beatles, uh, George Harrison, and uh, pretty much everything between then and now. So, uh, you know, enough with the rambling. Uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, Bobby Whitlock and his wife, Coco Carmel. We are speaking with uh, Bobby Whitlock and his wife, Coco Carmel, the band or they, the two, are going to be on the Sparkly Shoes Tour starting in June. Uh, pleasure to speak to you both. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds good, the Sparkly Shoes Tour. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm yeah, wearing yeah, some yeah. right now, as a Make, matter of fact. It makes me smile, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, 
I think too many people take music way too seriously, and, and with a name like that, mm -hmm. it just sounds bubbly and effervescent and sort of fun. And isn't that I love that, because <laughs> that was the whole idea. It was to go out and, uh, and just have some fun. None of this is super serious, although we love what we do, but... You know, so Bobby wanted to call it, I don't know. It was just playing the summer, summer tour, tour or something, something like that. And I said, that really sounds boring. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, so, so, let's, so anyway, I thought, okay. so let's talk about it. What happened was he got these three sparkly shoes and they're, you know, like the set. <laughs> three pair. Yeah, I got three, three pairs pair. of, of, of MJs, you know. Coco bought, bought them for me. <laughs> and, um, so that's where it came from. Yeah. So, so fans that are going to go to this uh, show, what are they going to see? What, where's the, where, where are the songs coming from? You know, what, what kind of arrangements are we doing? What is the show? Well, it's uh, uh, Coco and me, and we have a different guitar player in every city, and we do acoustic. It's Coco and me on acoustic guitar, and then when I play piano, she plays sax, and we're doing all the uh, domino songs that I had anything to do with. Plus a couple of other songs, you know, I've got to get better in a little while that Eric wrote, and our version of Layla. And then we do uh, some other material that's um, new stuff uh, 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 that uh, hasn't been recorded yet. As a matter of fact, some of it has. Um, I did a solo thing uh, just recently in December, and uh, so we'll be doing some of the material from that as well. Yeah, now, now that, that solo album, I, I've been reading about it, You've recorded a bunch of songs already. When do you think that'll be out? Or what was not that what... for sure. Okay. You know, a lot. The music part is done. Now it's a business thing. You know, so uh, and, and that's in somebody else's hands. Business people always tend to slow things down. You yeah, know what I mean? they bog the they bog the, the, the wheels up, and um, so that's why we're just really kind of. That's when, yeah, Coco right. said, why don't we just go play? Because we were waiting on them to get all their business stuff together with uh, the solo project. And, I mean, it took no time to, to record, you know. Um, and uh, we're great players. We've got Daryl Jones, a Stones bass player. Uh, Charlie Drayton, uh, he was the drummer with the Divinals. Uh, Colin Linden, great guitar player from Nashville. And, and Nick Tremulous from Chicago on guitar as well. We had Stephen Barber playing uh, keyboards with, with me, and, and then, of course, Coco on a saxophone and singing. Um, pretty amazing uh, 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 what, what, what went down. But it didn't take any time to do. <laughs> Once the recording process was done, you know, I mean, we did like four or five songs a day. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, Just so, like that. You know. you know, talk to me a little bit about the difference between sort of the 1970s and now, because you're talking about the business. There, there is sort of that... that theory now that we can do everything ourselves you can just throw it on youtube and you can just throw it on spotify um why not go so that 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 individual pledge music GoFundMe kind of way we hate that yeah okay well you go know, fund me is, it's just i don't know it's, it's like, not our uh, cup of tea yeah i don't want i don't want to uh, it's almost like uh, uh begging folks hey, help me out here let me, i want to i want to do a record some you people know? are very successful with all of that. It's yeah, just not, it's that's just, just it's, not part of our makeup. We don't we don't do that. No, uh -uh. Uh, I, I, I'm just taking care of it myself, you know, and, and uh, take care of it ourselves. I mean, I'm I think that's all right for some people who works for them. I haven't seen yeah. it work for anybody yet. No, I have seen you know people come out with you know nice records and stuff, and they there's a lot that goes along with that. You know, you have to 
give people special this, special that, you know, and there's, I don't know, it's just. If you get a, a nice record, uh, um, I mean, all you have is a nice record. If you don't have all, all the components together to put it out there, and you know, have all the all the all the uh, machine behind you, you just got a nice record that you can stick in your yeah, shelf. That's still pretty much in the hands of the record companies because they can put things out in the proper way, and it gets out there to all the people. When you do all that stuff yourself, it's so much work. You got to get hooked up yourself. with yeah. You got to get hooked up with distributors, and I mean, it's a whole a whole network of. of That's why you have record companies. I mean, now I'm I'm actually like saying, wait, great, you know, record companies are great, but uh, you have to have them. I mean, they do an immense job. A sense of organization. Now, with the, you're talking about with Spotify and all this stuff. Yeah, okay, everybody can get their records out, but they're not getting paid, yeah. you know? And and when they do get it, it's pittance for nothing, you know? Um, uh, so it's like, why do that? You know, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't, you know? Yeah, and I but, think that's... Um, you know, I do think that record companies over the years have had sort of a, a bum rap because... Yeah. What you forget in all of this is that they have the infrastructure. It's very nice to have yeah. a great song, but... If you can't get it out of your front door, does it really matter? It right? doesn't go. Now, I think no. what happened was, you know, like back in the 70s, people started to really realize how much uh, money was involved in all this. And, and they record, wanted to keep the it themselves. The record companies were really <laughs> taking the majority of that, and the artists would end up with so little. Uh, even the Beatles, they, they shared like a penny off of each, you know, record or something. It was just outrageous. And so, you know, naturally, people started getting a little upset about that, and they wanted to be able to have some control. Uh, there was a point in time where the record companies controlled everything. The artists were getting virtually nothing, and it shouldn't be like that. It's probably the only industry in the world that doesn't get it, you know, musicians don't get a raise. They don't get people backing them up. We're struggling constantly. Now we're having rights taken away from us. We never thought, you know, publishing rights and all these these, this, you know, like Spotify and um, I can't remember the other name of the other uh, company, but they're now sucking the blood uh, out of all the musicians and all the writers. Suddenly we're having to fight for our rights like nobody, it's, it's insane. Well, you know, a hundred, uh, 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 people tend to sometimes think, well, I want 100% of that, you know, just because it's mine, I should own it all. Well, here you go. 100% of it, now it's going to go on your shelf. You know, or either you can, you know... Uh, um, you can't not, possibly you do can't, the job that you know, the record You can't possibly do it. Can't. No way. They're connected. When, when you do something and you're connected with a major label, they're connected with the major publishers. They collect your money from Poland, you know, and, uh, and Greenland. You know, I mean, they, they, who else is going to go get your money for you? No, as the major publishers are the ones that... They're, now they've got a network that goes around the globe, and in each one of those fingers has has uh, a network, and so that's it's it's how it, how it happens. It's kind of like a tree, you know, and uh, it really is. It's very much like that. And but if you hey, when Ahmed Erdogan was around and Atlantic Records was happening, you know, everybody was treated right. Uh, uh, yep. uh, they might have complained about the the, the record while well, he's making more money. Well, but he's also the one who's got your record out there and they're hooked up with the people who are promoting you. The big-time promoters are putting you in front of the 20,000-seat audiences. See, all those people are, are connected together. 
You know, so, I mean, no way can an artist take care of everything himself. Eric Clapton could not look after his career by himself. He's got a whole lot of folks that are under, under, under his, uh, 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 in, in his wallet, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, so then what compels you at this point then to write new music? Because you, you were involved with, um, you know, the George Harrison album, the Eric Clapton album, Derek and the Dominoes, your own career. You have the catalog, you have the songs, you can certainly do the tour without having to make new music. So what sort of says, you know, what goes off in your, in your head that says, okay, we need to write some new well, songs? Well, life goes on, and there's right. so much to write about. It never ends, you know? Why stop? Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't write uh, to uh, uh, have new songs. I write mm -hmm. because it's what's going on in my life, exactly. you know, like Coco was saying. But... Uh, um, yeah, I could, I could, I sure enough, could do nothing but uh, songs that I have recorded and been on already, you know, uh, and fill up a couple, two or three hours, maybe four hours, without playing all the material. I mean, this, this stuff but just comes out of you. You, know, you just, can't stop it. And it's and it's fresh, you know. It's it's like fresh picked fruit. It's right there for you. And when we do what we're doing, uh, we're going, I mean, we went out uh, two years ago, and we called that, that tour the Just Us Tour because it's just us, Coco and me. We don't have an entourage, you know, we don't have a band, and you know, we just load up and go, and somebody helps us uh, unload and load back up. And so it's just the two of us. Um, you know, I don't know. I got run over by a train of thought. <laughs> but uh, you really need everything, all the components, to put it out there and present it right. You know, um, that's just all there is to, to the thing. Now, that album is is called, I guess, Tornillo? 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 Tornillo. Tornillo, and it'll be released later this year. Um, let's look back at some of the stuff you've done, obviously. Um, the big one is, of course, Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. You've talked about that for 40 years now. Uh, always comes up in conversation. At the end of the, the 50, day... In, it'll 50, be 50 in three right. years. That's three, right. Yeah. Holy mackerel. <laughs> that means I'll be 50 in a few years. <laughs> but, um, but talk to me about that album, because, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it was just one album. There wasn't a second one. What is it that was so unique about that band and album and moment that here we are almost 50 years later still having the conversation? Well, it was that. It was uh, we were in the flow and the creative flow, and so everything that was necessary that needed needed that was needed for that happened. We didn't have all the material together when we went to do it. Uh, um, the way the album was structured is the way it went down. The first three songs we did was "I Looked Away," which, funnily enough, was the first song that Eric and I wrote together. Then we did "Bell Bottom Blues," and we wrote that one together. Then we did "Keep On Growing," and it was just a, a jam. And uh, I went out into the uh, Fourier Criteria and, and wrote the, the melody and the, and, the, and the lyrics and went back in and sang it and got Eric to come in there and do, do our Sam and Dave thing. It happened at that moment. And we didn't have a plan as to, well, we're going to do this song and this song. There were other, we had enough material, you know. We had Roll It Over and Got to Get Better in a Little While. There was enough material. We already had Tell the Truth uh, and Why Does Love Got to Be So Sad. But uh, uh, things just happened naturally. I mean, when Dwayne was not intended, on, we didn't even talk about Dwayne Almond, much less think about having him play on our record. It was just a matter of coincidence that 
Uh, he was in town with, uh, with his band, the Almond Brothers, and they were playing on a flatbed truck outside of a, of a, of a, of a Coliseum there uh, out in, in Miami. And um, we went to see him and invited him back, you know, to come jam with us. Because um, we, we really didn't have a plan. We were just in the flow. So it would seem like the natural thing to do. Everything, and when it happened, wow, Eric and Dwayne hit it off like long lost, you know, soul brothers, you know. And uh, when that happened, it was just like, it was a perfect ingredient. We talked about it uh, before we asked him to play. Uh, it was like, man, that's perfect, man, to have him play with us, you know. I knew Dwayne from uh, uh, Delaney and Bonnie era. You know, so I I had already played with with Dwayne, or he had already played with with me with uh, Delaney and Bonnie. You know, he did a couple of albums with them. Um, to to Bonnie from Delaney, that was when I met him. Jerry Wexler brought him down to Miami because Delaney's creative well was running dry, and I thought that that would be an inspiration for him, and it was. They became great friends, uh, and uh, 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 but when he when he showed on the scene, man, it just fit like a, a hand to a glove. Him and Eric together, and they worked out the parts. And and then like we brought in uh, just out of the blue, uh, um, uh, Little Wing. You know, I'd never even heard of it. I, I never heard the song. I didn't listen to no Jimi Hendrix. I didn't listen to Cream, and I didn't listen to uh, any of the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. I mean, I was strictly R and B guy. You know, and uh, that was my roots. And but everything just happened, and when it was finished, funny thing is, when the album was over and we had we had it all going on, um, uh, Eric said we got room for one more song on here. And yes, when he asked me, would you like to do Tell the Tree? I mean, uh, Thorn Tree in the Garden. And I said sure. And so that was really the last thing on it. Uh, we had a, a this we had just done in that year. And one year, uh, I did uh, the All Things Must Pass record with George Harrison, and then, then the recorded in that same year uh, uh, the Layla record. And I don't know, it just all seemed, everything was happening naturally without trying to make anything happen, without trying to do it, you know, uh, prefabricate any ideas, you know, or preconceive any ideas, or prefabricate some kind of songs. And, and No, uh-uh. The songs when we wrote the songs, uh, "Why Does Love Got to Be So Sad," uh, "Tell the Truth," they just happen any day. Those songs, uh, and I looked away. Eric and I wasn't looking to uh, uh, for songs for to record. We were just writing songs so we wouldn't be having to sing uh, "Sunshine of Your Love," you know, and all the <laughs> all his old things. So every time we'd write a song, we would take one of the old songs off the list, you know. And we 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 wanted uh, to do our our material, and it all always came. We had a really good uh, writing relationship. We were a great writing team. Uh, and it seemed like it, uh, nothing could uh, we could do nothing wrong when it came to writing a song. We were just sitting in the TV room, and and Eric's all hung up on Patty, uh, George's wife. And and he looks at me, and we're talking about guitars and cars and girls and rock and roll. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, why does love got to be so sad, Bobby? I don't know. And I said, oh, man, I don't know. Why does that got to be such a long song title? <laughs> I mean, and, and we wrote the song right then, you know. I mean, that's how things happened. Without, without plan or anything, 
And that was our, with that band, Derek and the Dominoes, we did one photo shoot. And we had the guy, uh, Julian Lord, who was hooked up with uh, Alice Ormsby Gore. I believe that, that was, they were cousins or brothers and sisters or something. Anyway, Julian came out and took some pictures of us because we didn't want to leave Hartwood Edge, as Eric's place out in Surrey. And we rehearsed out there and all lived out there. And we did only one small club tour. And, and, uh, and every ticket was a pound, like one pound. Um, we went out as Derek and the Dominoes. Nobody knew who the heck we were. And um, we went back and did one larger venue tour of Great Britain. And then we did the one record with George. All things was passed. And then we did one thing with Layla record. We did one TV appearance, which was the Johnny Cash show. We did one American tour. Uh, went back and we attempted a second record. We did one failed attempt on a second studio record. And there was one live album put out. So it, I, 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 I was, my thing is the, about we did one of everything, you know, and there, so that left us in a position of nothing. There was nothing at all that anyone could compare it to, nothing, because it was only the one time. Is that sort of the magic of music making in general is spontaneity and not overthinking it? Because you look at today's artists with the Pro Tools and the fly this in and fly that out and, and the, 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 the vocal, you know, Mm. Uh, yeah, what, what do you call it? Auto tune is what I'm thinking of. Uh, too much fixing, too much yeah. smoothing, too much mm. slicky, slicky stuff, and it's not natural. And so there's no there's no naturalness to the it. Spontaneity, so, you know, the spontaneity of the feel Unfortunately, gone. the young people don't know any different. So no, uh -uh. you know, and, and but then we get other people down, you know, coming to hear us that are young, young guys, like all these young guitar players playing with us in their twenties and stuff, and. You know, they really love those old recordings. We have people that are into the vinyl recordings and, and the real sound of everything. I think your, your heart aches for that kind of thing, you know, the realness of something, not something that, that has no sound. I see these people, they drive by and they've got these, uh, uh, like, songs going in their car, rap songs and things like that, and there's, like, this bass sound. But when they drive by, it's like a hollow sound. It's not... It's not like a real bass sound, you know, where it used to just move the floor. Doug Don wouldn't play it, no. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'll tell you where, as a, as a rock fan, I, I find the great disappointment is, you know, because in a studio, if a record sounds perfect, well, okay, fine. It's when you take it into a live context and they're running backing tapes and, and they're fixing mistakes and there's no more feedback and there's no more, you know, messed up lyrics, you go... You suck well, the life out of it. Well, yes. Like, why did I bother coming tonight? You know, like, if yeah. I was just going to see you, you know, mime to the record, I could have stayed home and, and saved the traffic, right? Right. Um, all flicked out and perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Have we have we sort of lost an innocence in, in, in music and in performing? Or is that still there and you so, just got to... I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it's lost, but I think a lot of it's there. I think it's kind of a half and half thing, you know? Definitely agree with that. Now, um, Bobby, let me just take you back because one one album that to me encompasses what I'm sort of putting forward here is the All Thing Must Pass album with uh, George yeah, Harrison. Yeah. I mean, you you just look at the lineup on that. I, I mean, everybody and your sisters on there. I mean, you've got Alan White, you've got Ringo Starr, Billy Preston, Gary, you know, Gary White, Eric Clapton, uh, Phil Collins. <laughs> Um, yeah, Gail Brooker. I, I, was, mean, I was talking to Coco uh, yesterday, the day before, and I said that uh, other than George, I, I'm, I was the only, 
that album more than anybody, uh, period, uh, other than George. <laughs> I'm on just about every song. I played all the pump organ and tubular bells and, of course, sang. Eric and I were the O'Hara Smith singers. All the Hammond B3, I put all, all the Hammond on except for Behind That Locked Door, and that's Billy. And then uh, I played piano on uh, uh, Beware of Darkness. And I don't know. You know, that, that when I went over there, I was the only American there. When that album started, I was the only American in the room. Carl wasn't there yet, neither was Jim Gordon. And uh, we had a, 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 a room that we rehearsed in, kind of went kind of got everything together. It's called a tea room. And, uh, um, we, we had the band set up in there. And so we, we did a jam in there and it was like, uh, well, that's how the jam album came, but I didn't realize that they were recording all of what we were doing, but that jamming was uh, everybody getting acquainted with each other. You know, they didn't all know each other really. I mean, you had a uh, bad finger and, you know, Joey Mall and those guys. Yep. And, um, like you said, and the two Garys, Gary Brooker and 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 and, and other Gary. I mean, so I was like, um, and 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 Billy, and then you had George and Eric on, on guitars. I mean, it, it was a pretty pretty awesome setup. And uh, at one point, there was one song when the whole of everybody that was there was in the room at the same time. I believe on on um, uh, Wawa. I believe that there were like 12 musicians playing at the same time. We had Carl Radel and Klaus Vorman on bass. Um, I remember them working their parts out, you know. So, I mean, it, uh, and then uh, Ringo and, 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 and Jim Gordon. I mean, it was a pretty amazing, pretty amazing thing. And then I'm playing, that was the only session I was late for. Uh, uh, I got caught up in traffic, and uh, I, I, when I walked in, they were all playing away, and I went, oh, man, my B3 was taken, you know. Uh, so was everything else, except for uh, a Wurlitzer piano between the, uh, Jim and, and Ringo. And uh, I got on that, and everybody was playing on the downbeat, so there was nowhere for me to fit in. So I went, wow, only place that was left was uh, uh, the upbeat. So I played upbeat all the way through it, and I was all by myself out there in the, in, in the upbeat field. But that's how uh, that album happened the same way as uh, the Layla record, you know, and we did it before the Layla. That's when we put the Layla record. That's when we put the band together. Uh, Dominoes, we were the core band uh, for that. George asked Eric to, uh, and me to put the, put the band together for, to be his core band. Correct. Yeah, he asked us. I was, was sitting in, in Hurtwood Edge. And uh, phone ring one day, and it's the only second time I ever known uh, known Eric to be on the telephone. And that one time was when I called him and said about coming over visiting, and then we wound up staying there for a better part of a year. And um, uh, when George rang, and I, he, I could hear him go, "Yeah, well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, that sounds good to me." He said, "Well, could we do something? Uh, can we record something?" I didn't know what what was talking was to who he was talking to or what it was about, and he got through fin uh, with, uh, with 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 George and he said that was George and he wants to know if we can put a band together to uh, be his core band on he's he's doing a solo record, and I said Harrison and he said yeah, and so uh, he said won't you give Jim and, and Carl a call and so I called 
my natural instinct was to call Jim Keltner. So I called Keltner and, and Carl, and Carl was on his way, and um, Keltner had, to, had a, a, a one month, he was in the middle of finishing up a, a studio project with Gabor Zabo, and so he couldn't make it. And uh, we were doing some other stuff. Uh, Eric and I were doing a couple of sessions like with Doris Troy and P.P. Arnold, Pat Arnold. Right. And uh, uh, so happened that Jim Gordon was on one of these sessions. And Eric and I went, wow. Uh, as a matter of fact, Carl couldn't find the studio, so we used Manfred Mann's bass player on the session that night. And, and it was Jim Gordon playing drums, and we didn't know he's in town. And we went, wow, this is really cool, man. I mean, George wants us now, so let's ask, let's ask him. And that's when we decided to ask Jim Gordon if he wanted to be in the band. And so, uh, and then we said, okay, come on down to the studio. <laughs> and went down to EMI, and uh, we all rocked and rolled. But every song, uh, nobody knew any of the material that was going to be done. George would come into I'd heard all the songs because I stayed out at Fire Park a lot. Uh, I'd heard everything already, but uh, nobody had 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 listened to any of it at all uh, um, uh, that was in, in, involved in it because it was so it was fresh for everybody to hear. And he would come out and stand there with his guitar and played it for everybody. Everybody went through it, made the, made notes, and went back and went boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know. We're recording, and um, uh, it, that's how it happened. And he allowed, George is uh, wonderful in the studio, uh, in that he allowed everybody to do whatever they wanted. We, we had re re uh, recorded All Things Must Pass, the song, and we were standing in the control room and listening back to it, and, and I went, Like that, you know, when it's uh, and Phil Spector said, who did that? And I thought I, thought I was going to get a scolding, you know, and I raised my hand. I said, I did it. He said, get out there and put that on the microphone. And so I could hear that part, you know, and uh, I went out there and, and started to whistle, do the whistle. And I said, no, no, no. You, what you guys need to do is to get Pete Drake here and play pedal steel. It wasn't a matter of a couple of days that Pete Drake and his his buddy were over there, and uh, he was, we had two two days of uh, Pete Drake days, and and yeah. that's how the that's how it went together. You know, it all it all fell together naturally without anybody having to sit at home and figure out anything. It, it what amazes me also about that album is that if you tried to do that now, you know, you, you go in the studio next week and you try to get as many name players. There would be so many lawyers and so many, you know, spouses and so many uh, record companies <laughs> that it would be undoable. I mean, well, it, see, that's why no one is is uh, there's no there were no uh, album credits on it, right? Because uh, if Eric uh, uh, Eric's management, you know, wouldn't allow his name to be on it without some kind of a, a big deal. Everybody who had managers, and that would be everybody except me, <laughs> in there. Uh, and George, uh, uh, everybody had somebody, you know, business people and attorneys and all that. So it would get bog all bogged down. And he wanted to get the product out. And, well, it actually, uh, it left it open for me to, to uh, I did a, a, wrote a, a, my autobiography here a few years back. And in there, I do a song by song with the, on, on the Layla, 
uh, album and uh, and on uh, All Things Must Pass. I put the headphones on and went through it and described it. It's like I take you right in there, sitting in there uh, in the room with a Harry Christmas come bouncing through the doors, throwing rose petals and giving everybody peanut butter cookies. I mean. It happened like that, you know. Those uh, were the beautiful days, and they're not like that anymore. No, it's not. No, everybody, Sad. everybody's trying to make a hit rather than make a record, you know. Yeah, everybody wants to be a damn star. Everybody know? wants to be a rock star, <laughs> you know. You know, and, and, they're just uh, not happy with what they are, you know. It's like I don't understand people. You know, just why can't you just be happy with what you are? You know, we we have a friend who's a guitar player. And he wants to be a star bigger than anything than you can imagine. And he, he's just jumping through all these hoops trying to do the right thing to get that to that place, you know. It doesn't work like that. He's like, mm-hmm. he's, he's an incredible player. Well, but, you know. I didn't uh, look at, when I started doing this, I've sang all my life, but when I started playing and out there in the bands in Memphis and uh, in Arkansas and Mississippi, I, I I wasn't thinking about being a rock star. I had that was the furthest thing I didn't even care about being a rock star. That was not it. I wanted to play music, and that and then I'm with Delaney and Bonnie. Then the next thing you know, I'm doing this thing with George, and and we we did stuff with other people, you know, and then, and Eric and. Uh, uh, I'm a rock and roll star, not without even knowing it, you know. I certainly wasn't thinking about it. And it really didn't, it wasn't until I really kind of looked back and I go, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was. I could have probably <laughs> been more out of line than I was, you know. But <laughs> you know, and gotten away with it, but no. no, but it's, no. it's just a... Just kidding. A, no, no, but it's just a, a strange thing now, the, the way it is, and everybody wants to be a star right away. You know, on... On my Twitter feed, I'll, every so often I put up, on this day this happened, and I'll, I put out all these songs, and some of the world's greatest songs that we all yeah. know were number 50 on Billboard, was number 100 on Billboard, was number, you know. Yeah. A- and it yeah, just goes yeah. to show that great music is not about where you are on the Billboard chart. It really is about uh, yeah. heart and soul and, and all kinds of other things. Um, I'll finish uh, uh, just on the All Things Must Pass thing real quick. It was George's first album after leaving the Beatles. Did you sense any kind of extra pressure? Did did, did anybody come in and say, "Boys, we gotta make this," you know, a humdinger? No, no, nothing uh-uh. like that. No, 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 no. But um, of course, you know, George wanted to be the best it could be, but it was going to be that with uh, who he had in in the room with him. You know, so the finest players on the planet. Yeah, but and, he had this stash of all these great but, songs. Yeah, he had these great <laughs> songs. That, uh, I just looked at a thing yesterday, uh, and it was all, uh, a bunch of old records, and pulled out a uh, 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 pulled out a Beatles from uh, record, and it was from 1962 to 64, and there's two there's two two records on there, and I guess there, you know, 40 songs on it or something. Not one of them was George's. <laughs> he didn't. It was all it was all Lennon McCartney stuff. Every every one of them. They didn't give him. He would only was only allowed one one song on each record, and he didn't get any on that one. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's amazing to, to to think what it must have been like to be George Harrison because he was an incredible talent, and yet because of Lennon and McCartney. He was always that other guy, and and, and I understand it. I understand that completely because all, all everybody ever, that's because everybody always talks about is Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton. You know, they never talk about where this, what we're talking about, where the, 
where the, where the songs came from, where the, where the band really originated, they don't talk about that. They just talk about Dwayne Allman. You know, so I understand being yeah. <laughs> somewhat overlooked, you know. Yeah, and uh, quickly, um, uh, you mentioned your autobiography. I just want to let folks know if they haven't heard of it. It's uh, Bobby Whitlock, a rock and roll autobiography. came out in 2010. Obviously uh, worth checking out. I've, I've had a chance to read some of the passages, and uh, you even had oh, your, wow, your, thank you. You even had a forward by um, Eric in there. Um, all right, yeah. so I'll say, since we mentioned Eric, let me, let me just ask you about that, because I'm just looking at 1970, your timeline. You've got Derek and the Nominos that came out in 70, you've got the George Harrison, and then you've got Eric Clapton's debut album that you played on. Yeah. I mean, you had one spectacular 1970, quite frankly. I mean... Yeah, yeah, I mean, and we did, uh, and, and, and that very same year, we also did uh, Sun, Moon, and Herb's Dr. John, Mac Rabinac. And but so, uh, and see, there was something else that we did too. Uh, uh, the, the, I told you we were doing a few, a few things. Well, there was Delaney and Bonnie. But it was a, a busy, a busy time because I was just in in the flow of life, and man, it was uh, the river was flowing, and I was just hanging on and doing what I do, you know, and trying to stay out of everybody's way, keep my mouth and I, 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 and, and uh, everything closed <laughs> except when I needed to sing and play, and I kept my eyes and ears open at all times. See, see, I'm looking at your discography right now, and it says you have Delaney and Bonnie on tour with Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton, Eric Clapton, Doris Troy, Doris Troy, Delaney and Bonnie to Bonnie from Delaney, George Harrison, Derek and the Nominos. Uh, That's a lot of work. I mean, holy mackerel. Did did you ever get to rest? I was only the age of 23. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I, I was 22 when I did the Layla record and and George's record. Yeah, so that's a lot. But uh, just quickly talk to me about that first uh, Eric Clapton solo album. I mean, again, here's a guy who has been in all these other bands, has had all kinds of success. Everybody's like, hey, hey, hey. Um, any particular pressures in with him? And, and did you notice him saying, saying, all right, I'm on my own now. It's <laughs> it was a lot of pressure. Okay. <laughs> in that particular situation, Delaney was producing the record. And Eric was totally enamored with Delaney's singing, uh, his ability. And it was not, Eric didn't want to sing like Delaney. He wanted to sing the way Delaney sang, you know, uh, get that place where Delaney was coming from. And uh, you would have had to have been Delaney Bramlett to do that. So here's what he did, because uh, Eric was real, real insecure with his singing even though he had done White Room and a couple other things, you know, like with Blind Faith and Cream where he sang uh, uh, often back and forth with, with Jack. But uh, <laughs> well, he wanted, he wanted that to, to sing like Delaney, you know, the way Delaney was singing, get that place. Well, the only way to be able to do that was to follow right along. So what Delaney did was on the first record, he sang all the songs, and Eric came back in and sang, we did line by line on the song. And, uh, and so he got it just right. So he was finding his foundation and, and getting his footing for his vocal footing. And with Derek and the Dominoes, that was just the, the next step uh, to, for, for Eric to be out on his own. And I mean, he had, uh, he had Jim and Carl and me, you know, to, that he could lean on and he didn't have to worry about anything. And he had me putting a fire under his ass singing. You know, because I've I've always been. That's what I I do. I, I am a singer, 
You know, uh, so a lot of people, most people can sing, but not everybody is born to sing, and I was. But uh, I put a fire under there, and it, and it pushed him uh, um, to uh, a vocal place where he, he wouldn't have been able to get by himself. Yeah, and, and it's just, it's remarkable. It's remarkable what, what, what's been done. Um, of course, the sparkly shoes, uh, shoes, shoes, I, I said that all weird. Shoes. Uh, <laughs> shoes. Sh- yeah, I, I'm getting all uh, caught up on the sparkly. Uh, starts in June. <laughs> when you see them, you'll really get caught up on them. Man. I love them. You know, I'm going to have me a to blue come pair, down. A black suede, blue suede, and burgundy suede sparkle shoes. Like Michael Jackson's, you know, MJ's? Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm going to have we're to come in, down. Uh, the, the closest show Santa to me Barbara is uh, at the Egg in Albany. Store, but I'm and, have to and and Santa Monica. Yep. Yeah. And there was the shoes. I said, oh, wow, look at those, man. I said, come on, girl. <laughs> like, and we went in and I tried them on. They were too big. And, but she ordered them when we got back. She found out about them and ordered me three pairs. <laughs> That's great. Um Peter Chris of, of Kiss, the drummer, is is doing a, a sort of a farewell performance stuff coming up. Is, is there any thought of that for you where at some point you say, okay, it's time to just sort of sit at home and watch the grass grow, or will you always be a God, working no. musician? Okay. <laughs> no, I'll, 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 always be, I'll always be working. Uh, as long as I'm functional and, 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 and productive, uh, and that'll be until I'm well on up in my years, and uh, I'm 69 now. Bobby feels like he's only just getting started. Yeah, and I've only, I have really, I have only just now reached the point in where my playing, I'm really comfortable with my ability to play as simple as I do, because that's what I do. I play real, real simple, and not everybody can play real simple. You know, they got to show out and stuff. But no, I'm, I'm, I keep it, I keep it, keep it simple, and sing the song. You know. And I'm only just come to the place where my voice sounds the way I've always uh, wanted it to sound. I've, or I'm the singer, I have the sound I've aspired to always have. And, and that took uh, years. That took uh, education. That's what I, I never did have. Like with the dominoes and when I was young, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I didn't have life's experience, you know. I, I had all this talent. I could re- sing and, and play and I could play anything, any think, any instrument. You know what I mean, I uh, think it would be very disappointing to the people, the fans that love this music as yep. well. You know, there's like they've only just discovered that you know Bobby's out there, we're out there, and he's telling these stories to all these you know songs you know, and records. Tell the background stories of every yeah, it'd be song. hugely disappointing to those people. That, it, it really would, you know, and, and it. you know, I was gonna I was gonna wrap up, but I do want to ask you about that. Uh, your playing is where it should be, and it's a lot more simple. I was just talking to Ian Pace of Deep Purple, and he said that he was mm-hmm. watching videos of him when he was in his 20s and 30s, and he thought, oh, my God, what what was I doing? All kinds of stick <laughs> maneuvers and all kinds of this. And now he's, he says <laughs> right. he's a more effective drummer because he's got it down to just the parts that need to be played. That's it. Was right, that the right. same thing for you? I mean, were you just sort of all over the place, you know, going wild and Hell crazy? Hell no. I've no. never been all over the place. Okay. I play exactly the way I always played. Okay. The first time I ever played piano was uh, on, on uh, the jam on uh, All Things Must Pass record. And the first time I ever played piano properly recorded was a Beware of Darkness. And so I still play the same way. As you hear me playing on, on that sound like Jerry Lee uh, uh, and Memphis Slim kind of combined with a little gospel, you know. Um, that may be true, but you like your voice better now than yeah, you Yeah, but my playing is, <laughs> okay. is, is exactly the same, only I'm better at it. 
you know, gotcha. better at my simplicity because I've, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I don't try to play like Chuck Lavelle or somebody. No, I, I don't work on my chops. You know, I, I just play. You know, I accompany that's myself. That's true. Yeah, and uh, but my singing—that's another story. I've just now reached this, as I say, a little other story. <laughs> as I reach this place, you know, and um, I love singing. It's 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 kind of like I'm 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 sitting up about three feet to my right and above me, just digging the hell out of this guy singing his ass off. You know, you know? Uh, there's a difference between Bobby and some of these other artists as well, or a lot of them, is that he was born to sing. He was born to sing and play and write. He's been doing this since he was a baby, yeah. you know, naturally. Dreams of a Hobo I wrote when I was uh, 14 years old. Wow. And that's, uh, that's on my first solo record. Yeah. Thorn wow. Tree in the Garden I wrote uh, <laughs> I was... Uh, 19 or 20. That was like his second or third song, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's unbelievable. Off, I mean, at, at 14, I think I managed to make a sandwich by myself. And <laughs> <laughs> and you wrote songs that have endured and keep yeah. enduring. It's it's unbelievable. But I guess uh, I guess they That's say you're born right. with it, right? So He was yeah. born with it. Why, yeah. why in the world would he ever think of stopping, you know? Yeah, like Ray stop. Charles, why mm -hmm. would you stop, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's hmm. it's sort of the one job I think you know everybody wants to retire from being an accountant or this and that, but when you're in music, it's always about love and passion. And and why would anybody Absolutely. want to retire from love and passion? It just mm, it, wouldn't make sense. There will always be a creative, Absolutely. and there is a creative outlet. Uh, I mean, I've been Coco and I've been working on our front garden here in, in front of the house. I mean, with stones and and, and putting plants down. Um, I, I do woodwork. I, 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 I call it root art. Everything and, we do is creative. And, and every, everything. everything, there's always that uh, creative influence is always functioning in our household. Uh, there's never a, a lack of creativity. We're always singing, always playing, always w working on songs, writing things down. I'm sitting here at my table and I got... One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven books laying around me, and they're all full of songs and ideas and, <laughs> I mean, and poems and stuff. I mean, I, it just comes out. I, I can't help it. I mean, it's like, like yesterday with the rain. You know, the sky, uh, the sky was uh, awesome. You know, Austin, the Texas sky, and, and when I came home, it was like, wow. I mean, it was inspirational. Yeah. You, know? you should do what you enjoy in life. You know, I don't, yep. people. I, I, I've heard people say to me, "Well, I made the choice. You know, I could have been a musician, or you know, or I've become an accountant instead because I want to make the money. I need to make a living, or whatever." I mean, you know, Bobby and I have managed to make it through life, and a lot of people do, but I really don't understand why people will get into things that they hate doing. And they'll wait till the end of their, you know, like they're in their 50s or 60s and then decide, well, I'm going to take up painting. This is what I've wanted to do all my life. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, we just follow our heart. You know? Yeah, and it happens. Like yesterday, uh, it's rained a little bit today here in, in, in Austin. But yesterday, man, it was a mean sky. And I was coming home and I went, boy, that sky is awesome. You could see it in Austin. You know, we live in a, on a farm that's exactly on, uh, 11 miles from downtown Austin. All right, but uh, and it wasn't storm wasn't out here. But I, 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 I'm listen, let me read this to you real quick. I jotted this down. It just fell out. Uh, it says, "There's a mean sky over Austin. The storm is almost here. Rain will soon be falling from a sky that once was clear. Winds will blow and howl like dogs left out in the cold. 
the creek will rise to river size and start to overflow. The Texas floods you hear about are more than true than not. Uh, they take the house and family whose names are soon forgot. Wow. So that's what happens around our house. <laughs> it can wow. rain and, and, and a poem or a song or something comes, comes down, you know. That's a, it's, a, it's an amazing talent. And I, and I do agree with you that you need to do what you love in life. I mean, for, for years, mm-hmm. I did this rock interview you know, thing for free just because it was so yeah. uh, so much part of what I needed to do. And uh, right. it, it's nice now to have gotten to a point where I can get some uh, remuneration for it. But it, it took a while. It took a while. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could do this all, all day long. I mean, you know, we were supposed to talk, I think, 15 minutes. We're at 45. And, uh, yeah. You know, well, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, yeah. And thank uh, you very much for this, this, this time. And yeah, um, for taking you. the time to... Out of your life to to read about mine, especially in a state of emergency, for God's sake. <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, Toto yeah. says he's in a state of emergency. I said he's in the country and he's shy <laughs> on butter and milk. That's the extent of his emergency. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, we all jokes aside, we we are in a in in a flooding situation. If I walk down yeah. the street with the dog like I did yesterday, the the main street is completely wiped out. All the houses no. by the um, no. by the lake are oh. completely wiped out. Uh, oh, man. 12, I told you, Bobby, see? Well, you know, the Brazos River here was the last year and year before. It swells up as well. It's like this poem came. Uh, it, uh, it, it really just was Very raging. Dangerous. And this Very. woman was calling uh, uh, on, from her telephone, and she was floating down the river in her house. Her and her husband and children were in the other part of the house, and they were floating down the damn river. They hit a thing that tore them apart. Of course, they all perished. They hit a bridge. Yeah. Oh, God. But, uh, yeah, but, but it, it gets heavy duty. We're in the country, and uh, you can see the, uh, uh, Walnut Creek from upstairs when it gets to, to wow. going, you know. Yeah, so. they, they, they've actually they've called in 1,200 military personnel to assist. And Jesus. Oh, no, no, it's, 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 it's never been seen. I mean, my, my kids have yeah. been home. Um, oh. For two days now, three days now, because they they've closed the schools and uh, oh, they love well, this that. This has been going on for a couple of days. Oh, this has been going on since last week. But the first couple no. of days, they diverted the uh, the bus routes, and some kids couldn't be picked right. up. But since uh, right. since the beginning of the week, the schools have been closed, and they've um, right. uh, they've they've made all the public transport free because they don't want people in their cars. They said, listen, the trains and buses yeah. are all free. Just go take that. Get out of your car because we need to, right, to lighten right. it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yet... Well, are you going to be okay over there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, I'm higher up, so I, I'm fine. But I, I, yeah. I just know that there are, like I took the dog for a walk today, and there are just some routes I could not go. I had to find right. an alternative walk path. So I... You've got to be super <laughs> careful and don't drive and all that stuff. I mean, you know, yeah. people drive here where they're not supposed to drive, and this is how they end up getting killed because yep. they do what they're not supposed to do. Yep. And uh, every year we see it, you know, somebody's done something stupid. But you but see, we're Canadians. Right, let me ask you. We, we, we respect. All right, let me ask you this. <laughs> we're polite. Yes, all right, go ahead. Mitch. All right, Mitch, let me ask you this. If I don't, I will, I'll wish I had them. Okay. All right, you remember uh, the W.C. Fields thing? Did you ever get that? Anybody say, what is your name? And you say, Mitch LaFawn. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Big L, little A, little F, little O, little M, Mitch LaFon. That's right. 
That's right. Uh, yeah. You, you, get, you get that. Have you ever, have you ever laid that on anybody? Because it's perfect, man. Yeah, well, it is. It, it, it is. I, I haven't, though, but I, I do sort of do it when I do my bumpers on the radio. I'll say, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, L-A-F-O-N. And, and, and you know, but uh, there you, you gotta, go. You got to do the big L, little A, little F. <laughs> you know, unless it's a, is it a big F in there or a little F? It is a little F. It is a, it is a, a yeah, French yeah. name. My, my, my father was... Yes is french and uh, they got divorced when, oh. they, when they were when they were my dad's 80 what is it now 80 87 now holy mackerel oh wow, oh, wow. wow. My, yeah. my my mom's name was Levada. she yeah. just passed recently but uh her name was Levada, and i and it's spelled l big l a v a d a l a v a d a and i said you know what mama i said you ought to make that v a capital and it kind of gives you your name a little flair of like the Veda, you know. <laughs> That's funny. From that day on, yeah, she spelled it big L, little A, big V, little A, little T, little A. <laughs> That's but, great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Bobby and Coco, been a- absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, we did this even Likewise. through f- through through floods and and all kinds of other things. It's it's been mayhem. <laughs> it's been mayhem. And 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 folks don't know the the computer crashed just before we started and so we had a 20 minute delay. We had a rain delay, a computer delay. It's been Yeah. But here we are. We well, got you guys it done. take care out there. All yeah, of you out yeah, there. And uh, I see that uh well you're you're at the Egg in Albany on uh, June 16th and uh yeah. Daryl's House Club in Pauling, New York. I don't know where Pauling is, but that's probably not too far from Montreal. So I will definitely try to make it down to one of the two shows and, and uh Fabulous and uh Fantastic. BB Kings as well on the thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, down in uh, that well that's that's an eight uh, eight hour drive for me. That one's a bit far. Oh. That's okay, sorry. <laughs> no, but Albany's only three and a half. I can I can handle Albany. <laughs> okay. And, We'd uh, love to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward and, to and, it. And I would love to see uh, the show just because I, I just love real musicians playing real music and none of this auto-tune and Pro Tools rig hidden in the back and a keyboard. Is well, not you won't this. have any of that with us. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, it's, it's a pretty amazing to uh, play these songs and look out in the audience and people are singing along with you. You know, uh, it's pretty, pretty moving for me. And, yep. Uh, Oh, it's moving well, from I the appreciate, audience I appreciate you taking this much time with us. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll certainly do this again soon. All right. All right. Thank you, Mitch. Bye-bye right, now. Mitch. Thank you. Bye-bye. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. The best in paranormal talk radio is here on Podcast One as part of the Jericho Network. Beyond the Darkness examines all aspects of the supernatural every day, Monday through Friday. And now, the same team behind Beyond the Darkness bring you the most frighteningly real-life dramas on True Crime Tuesday. Subscribe now by visiting darknessradio.com. Then, click the True Crime Tuesday banner. Again, that's True Crime Tuesday. Visit darknessradio.com and click the True Crime Tuesday banner. Subscribe now. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 
17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.